Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing the Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to a new podcast, The Paddock and the Pavilion with Stephen Wallace. In each show, Stephen will interview someone connected to the world of horse racing or cricket. Welcome back to part two with Michael Holding, recorded on Monday the 2nd of August. So in part two, uh, we're now going to talk about cricket, touring England and the successful West Indies side. You toured on three England tours um, in 1976, winning 3-0, 1980-1-0 in the, and the Blackwash series in 1984 when you won uh, 5-0. But we met a few weeks back at the Severals uh, where you were watching a Newmarket Cricket Club game. What, what's your connection with Newmarket Cricket Club? No formal connection. I, you know, I spent my summers in Newmarket and being a former cricketer, they invited me down on different occasions to do different things, you know, the club went into liquidation, not really liquidation, but it went out of function for quite some time. It, not the club itself, but the clubhouse and the ground. They weren't actually using it. They were playing all their games away. But it has been revived now. And I'm glad to see that it has been revived. The pitch has been fixed, you know. It's good to get cricket back at the severance. Because on that day, you'd have noticed, Stephen, the amount of people that turned up. It was a nice sunny day, nice warm day. Lots of kids turned out. It was a good day for people to come up from Newmarket and to sit down and relax. I find a lot of Newmarket people spend their time in the pubs. They need to get out into the sunshine and get out and into the open, fresh air and mix with their, their friends from, from the area and the kids coming out and playing and the families getting together. I think it was fantastic. And you know John the Dentist Maynard, though, I think, don't you? Yes, I, I, I know of him from the Caribbean. Yes, he played for the Leeward Islands. But I understand he's now living in Berry. Yeah, he's still going. He's still opening the bowling. So uh, uh, let's hope they get promotion this season. Yeah, well, let's, let's wish them luck anyway. So, uh, you know, you made your test debut in 1975 in Australia. And then in 1976, you, uh, the hot summer, um, you played in the series against England. And before the series... Uh, Tony Gregg, the South African-born England captain, 
said that he wanted to make the West Indies grovel in the Test Series. What was the reaction in the team when he made that statement? Well, not everyone heard it because, you know, when it's 1976, when, when we were here in England, we didn't play cricket at all on the Sunday. There was no cricket played on Sunday apart from what was called the John Player League. That started somewhere we were around 2 o'clock. So the touring team wasn't playing, never played. And of course, in those days, Stephen, we didn't stay in five-star hotels where each room had a television set. <laughs> you had to go down into the lobby to watch the television that was in the lobby if you wanted to watch any television. So a few of us were down there because you know, a few of us wanted to watch the Sunday League game. And of course, the few that were there heard the comment. And then we relayed it to the team, the next team meeting, that exactly what he had said. And of course, that just made us even more adamant that we were going to beat England and beat England badly. So it just helped us to motivate ourselves, even if we didn't need motivation. I was a teenager at the time, and I did a scrapbook on the actual, I've got two great big scrapbooks on the whole summer with all the, the county cut-ins and everything. And, and I read, read some of it last night, and at the time, I know we're 1976, the word grovel was, the newspapers were using it in a sort of jocular fashion more than what it actually meant, especially to uh, the West Indian team, coming from a, a white South African-born England captain. Yeah, well, the media wouldn't have picked up the connotation. And even today, I don't think the media really look at things in that way. Media have their own agenda and their own slant, a slant on things. But we knew that the word wasn't the right word for someone who was born and grew up in South Africa and owned the plane for England because South Africa were not involved in, 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 in cricket. To use that word, no, it wasn't the right word to use, especially against the team, mainly black cricketers. So that, as I said, had our backs up. And we intended to stuff the words down this road. Always look, you were bowling faster to Tony Gregg than any other, other English batsman. Well, once he was at the crease, all the fast bowlers stepped up a gear. And the English batsmen didn't particularly like batting with him when he was at the crease because it wasn't that we were bowling quick to him and then slowing down for them. We just bowled quick to everybody at the crease at that point because we were we wanted to show everybody exactly what the situation was. Well, with his high backlift in the fifth test when you got your 14 wickets, you, you got Tony Gregg out bowled in both innings. Was that the best spell you had playing test cricket? No, it was the best Spell as far as numbers are concerned. You don't get 14 wickets every, every day in a test match. But I bowl a lot better than that on many, many occasions. You know, that, I was 22 years old. All I was doing was running in and bowling fast. And the ball was doing a bit in the air. I was bowling as full as I could because the pitch had absolutely nothing in it. The pitch was like a feather bed. So it was more important to bowl as full as you could. Bowl a lot of yorkers and bowl as full as you can to get people out. And have you noticed... I think 12 of the 14 were either bowled or LBW because not even the edges were carrying into the slip corner. It was so slow. Yeah, this was a test where Viv got 290 and England in the first innings scored over 400. There were over 1,000 runs scored in the first innings alone. The West Indies got over 600, England got over 400. It was a real feather bed. Just moving forward then to 1984, the, the Blackwash series. Um, I mean, it must be the most comprehensive 5 nil ever. I mean... There was two innings wins, a nine-wicket win, an eight-wicket win. The closest England got was a defeat by just over 170 runs. 
What effect did those victories have on, I see you smiling there, what effect did those victories have on West Indians living in the UK and sons and daughters of uh, the Windrush generation? Well, the three tours that, we, that I came on, every time the West Indies won, you could see the faces of the Caribbean people living in England. It lit up, it lit up their faces. And they walked a lot straighter, shoulders up, you know, chest out, because they were being treated as second-class citizens in England. And they wanted to show everyone that they came from the same place that these cricketers came from. And these cricketers are doing so well, are beating the England team. They are getting respect on the cricket field, and they wanted respect off the cricket field for, for themselves. So whenever we did well, they felt, they felt very good. It, it boosted their morale. It boosted everything about their life. So all three tours, whenever we won, it, it had an impact. The 1984 tour, of course, because we won every game, was a greater impact. And by then, I got to recognize myself how important it was for the West Indies team to win whenever we came to England. Because if my first tour, I heard about it and I had a little inkling about it, but I wasn't mixing with the society in general. I came on my first tour, I was 22 years old. I did, never, had never played county cricket, I had never been to England before, didn't know anybody in England. So it was a matter of just sticking with the team, going to the various matches and going back to the hotel and occasionally meeting some West Indians up here because some of the guys played county cricket and knew people up here. But when I came back 80 and 84 and I started to then know a lot more about the country and know more West Indians up here and actually getting in, into the society and moving around and traveling around, going on the streets with friends, that's when I got to understand really how much it meant to them. And I watched a clip this morning, the crowds, I mean... Uh, the noise as well, and it's quite funny, really, because I looked again at this scrapbook of mine, and uh, in the fifth test at the Oval, Clive Lloyd and Tony Gregg were actually asked to ask the crowd to not make as much noise. Yeah, well, they, they were not just making noise. They were running onto the field every time we could fell on that sort of thing. So they, they got very, very involved, you know. <laughs> that was all the, the, the tin, the, the tin cans and that, but it made for great atmosphere. Everything. And then, of course, they started to ban musical instruments in the grounds. They wouldn't sell, sell tickets in block anymore because West Indians all wanted to sit together. And the ECB decided that, no, we're not going to sell tickets in that way anymore, no more than a certain number in a particular area. And so, of course, the West Indians started to lose interest. Well, it certainly added to the atmosphere. And when you look back at the clips, you think, oh, it was you know, great to actually watch at the time. And... Uh... And the West yeah. Indies were the best side in the world for 15 years between 1980 and 1995. What was it like playing for such a dominant side? And do you feel you didn't get the recognition that you deserved? We didn't get the recognition that we deserved from certain parts of the media. I think the public in general and some parts of the media gave us all the credit that we deserve. But as I said before about the media, some media have their own agenda. We won't go into their agenda, but some do. Because it's obvious from the coverage, even that you look at the coverage of football and footballers, you know they have their own agenda. But we got a lot of credit from the people who came to watch us because they knew we were a good cricket team. They enjoyed watching us. As a matter of fact, I know the fact that we converted a lot of English and Australians to root for us 
as a West Indies team against their own team because they ad admired the way we play cricket and they re recognized the fact that we were a great team. So that aspect of it, I think, was absolutely fine. Just certain areas of the media had their own agenda and didn't want to recognize and tried, as a matter of fact, to de de denigrate some of the things that we did. Well, as a cricket fan, I mean, you had, say, Gordon Greenwich, Viv, Desmond Haynes, Andy Roberts, yourself. There was a succession of Joel Garner, Kirtley Ambrose. I mean, they're legends of the game. As a cricket fan, um, I can only say thank you for the hours that uh, the West Indian teams of those days gave to a cricket fan. You're welcome, Steve. I, I know a lot of people enjoyed our cricket. Well, you retired from Test cricket in 1987, having taken 249 Test wickets. Who was the best player you bowled to in your career? Well, Many, I know. But, yeah. If you, if you eliminate the West Indians, I, I can nominate four or five exceptionally good batsmen that I played against. And it would, would be difficult for me to, to pick one out of them. Yeah. You know, I'll start with people like Sunil Gabaska and Graham Gooch. David Gower, um, Martin Crow, Ian Chaplin, Greg Chaplin in my, er in my early days. I never played test cricket against Pakistan, but I played one-day games against them. And of course, when you have people like Javed Miandad and Zaire Abbas, in, you know, I played against some really top-class cricketers. I, difficult to nominate one. And how would they compare to the master blaster Viv Richards? Well, as I said, if you eliminate the West Indians, if you include everybody, I have Viv Richards as the best batsman I've seen. And later this week, you're going to be heading off to Trent Bridge in your role as a Sky Sports commentator. What's your thoughts on the five test series between England and India? To be honest, I have India's favourites. And with, with Ben Stokes deciding that he can no longer take part in any of the test matches this summer, I think England are going to really have a hard time beating India. You know, the batting, I think, is not as strong as it could be. England's batting, that is. And I think that is where they're going to struggle. If the bowlers can take up the slack, you know, England have some fantastic bowlers. The two old stages, Broad and Anderson, although Broad doesn't like to be referred to as an old stage because he's quite a few years younger than Anderson. But they have been around for so long. If they can really do a fantastic job as they usually do for England and restrict India's batting, they have a chance. Otherwise, I think India will win comfortably. Yeah, missing Ben Stokes really unbalances the England team, doesn't it? Tremendously, tremendously, because the top order is a bit weak and Joe Root will need some help and Ben Stokes coming in the middle order would have helped tremendously, I think, because I think he's a fantastic cricketer and a fantastic batsman. And how, just personally, do you think yourself you would have managed with bubbles and things like that? I suppose you had some of those being a commentator. Yeah, well, last year we, we were in a bubble. We were in a bubble throughout the entire summer last year. We just moved from one ground to, to the other. And we had to stay in the hotel at the ground. So we, we weren't able to go out into the towns to, to have dinner or anything at all. So we're involved in that bubble. And to be honest, I coped with it quite well last year. I don't think I would want to be doing that every year. But I think last year as a one-off, I, I was fine. I didn't have a problem. But as I said, that's a one-off. I wouldn't want to be doing that continuously. No, I think it's the succession of bubbles that um, yes. are having the effect on hard to deal with. Um, various sportsmen now over, say, 16, 18 months. It's building up that sort of period that's having the effect on these sportsmen. 
Yes, I think so, definitely. I say I wouldn't like to be involved in that in sport right now and having to go through all that. Well, thank you very much for joining me on the paddock and the pavilion. It's been a real pleasure. And I must thank uh, some of the people that helped me uh, get you on the show. Uh, people like Frank Conlon, who I, I know you know quite well from uh, his Michael Stout days. And, and John Maynard put a word in for me. And, uh, and I know Roland Butcher spoke to you quite recently. He's been on the show quite regularly. And thanks to all of them as well. No problem, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Paddock and the Pavilion. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Instagram at The Pad and Pad. Don't forget, if you like the show, please do leave us a rating and review. Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.